Matt Hungholtz Heitling, the author of the great new book, A Libertarian Walks Into a Bear, DaleWileyShow.com. There we are. And now I've got to have you pronounce her name because oh, yes. you have quite half of the hyphenated name. You're, you're not the first to ask that. It is uh, <laughs> Matt Hungholtz Heitling. Okay, that is quite a name. Yeah, but yeah. I'm so excited because our friend Gabriela Pereira told us that we need to talk, and I really love Gabriela, and so I love your book, and I'm so excited to hear about it. Uh, I'm, I'm so, really stoked for it, too. Th- thank you so much, Dale. Uh, yeah, Gabriela's <laughs> great, and uh, I listened to a little bit of your uh, show in uh, – Really? Yeah, you know, just, just to prepare, and, uh, you know, you, you've, you've got a great manner about you, and uh, – uh, sensing a lot of success uh, with the podcast. Well, definitely. And that's great to hear, but let's start with how did you first get interested in writing? Um, well, you know, I guess I've always been interested in writing ever since I could read. Um, uh, you know, in, in uh, when I was about eight years old, I, I uh, made my first attempt to write a book. Uh, it was right. about an elf that, that destroyed a bunch of monsters. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that, then when I was a, a young teen, I, I wrote, you know, uh, a book about, uh, you know, like a camping experience that was based very much on the young adult books that I was reading. And, right. and so I've always kind of, like, carried that, that passion forward. Yeah. Where was this? What was that? Where was this? Oh, um, I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, it's a city okay. called Beacon, about 14,000 people there. Uh-huh. Um, it's most famous, perhaps, as the hometown of Pete Seeger. Really? Uh, I love <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Such the, a fan of his. Oh, yeah. Yeah, who, who's not? Although it was so funny, like, uh, the, the town had kind of a, a love-hate relationship with him because, um, you know, when, when he was in his heyday, they were right. uh, all World War II vets who, who considered him to, to be a, a great anti-patriot, you know. <laughs> and, he was, uh, but he was such a great patriot of, of everything. He was a great saver of folk songs. He did so much great stuff. Yeah, and, and he really uh, walked the walk. You know, he, he didn't just uh, talk the talk. Uh, uh, a, lot of, a lot of famous instances of him uh sacrificing for his ideals and principles and, and that I was totally uh, get that. that was certainly the the family of Seegers that I knew and appreciated uh growing up there well okay after that when did you first start writing for a job um it was pretty late um uh i guess around 2011 i i was really okay. kind of like adrift um uh, uh, career-wise, uh, I had gone through a stint as a uh, poker player. Really? Uh, and <laughs> yeah, this was like during the the poker boom. Uh, right. And so, it tell was, me about that. How was that? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it was great. <laughs> you know, when, when I did it, I felt like uh, the smartest guy in the world, right? Because I was sitting on my couch eating Cheetos and and playing poker online. Uh, and earning enough money to pay the rent, uh, so that wow. that was uh, that, that was a dream as far as I was concerned. <laughs> um, but then, uh, you know, in a sense, the the poker world uh, is almost like a pyramid scheme in that the 
the more experienced and better players need a kind of constant influx of less good players. (laughs) And uh, poker was growing very, very much in that time period. Uh, But then uh, uh, Congress changed a law that kind of clarified whether or not it was legal for banks to uh, process poker transactions. Right, and they they came down on the uh, side that this is uh no this is like interstate gambling or you know it, it, it's not legal, yeah. And so every bank that used to process our payments uh, suddenly c- couldn't process our payments anymore, and you know the, the more dedicated players could kind of work around that, uh, but the casual players uh, that we all kind of depended on for the easy paycheck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they, they were not incentivized to, you know, uh, uh, pers- you know, work really hard to uh, get to lose money online. You know, uh, it, it was just too much, and so that kind of dried up. Uh, my my income dried up with it. I uh, got very difficult playing against, you know, very good players, and just kind of trying right. to scratch out a little edge. Um, and so. Uh, you know, I just kind of started doing whatever job I could. Um, you know, I, I I knew that I was passionate about writing, uh, but I didn't necessarily see uh, or feel like I had the connections to uh, write professionally. You know, okay. and so I, I started. Uh, th- thankfully, my wife uh, suggested that I talk to the local weekly newspaper in, in a small town in rural Maine. Okay. And uh, they uh, agreed to let me write an article about our local movie theater, which at that time was struggling with the uh, conversion to digital projection. Uh, right. That, that was a big storyline in, in theaters for a while. Yes. Um, and then uh, that was, you know, kind of like how I first got engaged. Yeah, I got 30 bucks for writing that story. Wow. <laughs> and, and I was hooked. Um, and so I, I kind of slowly kited up from there where I, I started doing a lot of stories for small, uh, rural Maine newspapers for 30 bucks a pop, uh, got into a, uh, full-time gig at a weekly newspaper, uh, for like 10 bucks an hour. Uh, and, uh, yeah, that then was able to transition up to a, a regional daily newspaper, uh, where, where I, uh, roughly doubled my pay. Um, and then I've, I've been uh, kind of always pushed for the the more uh, you know the, the larger markets, the opportunity to write longer and more creatively, right? Um, which was always my my kind of underlying passion, right? Um, and uh, you know, just eventually over several years of knocking on doors, what was able to uh, transition into a freelance career uh, for magazines. And now I've written this book, and so yes. um, yeah, this, this is your uh, first book. Yeah, it's my first book, so I, I feel like a million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> well, you should because it's a crazy story about the title is just so a libertarian walks into a bear. <laughs> Let's talk about that. Cool, cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, shall I uh, kind of sum up the plot very briefly? Oh, yeah. Go ahead and tell everyone what that crazy title is about. <laughs> Thank you for asking. So so basically, <laughs> uh, uh, the National Community of Libertarians in 2004 decided that they wanted to do a social experiment. 
uh, okay. where they would <laughs> kind of found their own uh, community and run it by their, you know, kind of very idealistic principles of absolute right. freedom, uh, yes. no taxes, no rules, <laughs> individual re- rights and responsibility. And they decided that rather than try to come up with the money to build a community from scratch, they would do this by just kind of descending on a small community and outvoting the folks who live there uh, (laughs) naturally. Uh, And so they chose the town of Rafton, New Hampshire, which was already very uh, uh, kind of liberty-leaning. You know, it didn't have any zoning uh, regulations. Uh, the, The taxes were fairly low. So they felt like they had some, so, yeah, a pretty good starting point. Uh-huh. And uh, a few years after they started trying to enact this uh, utopian experiment, uh, the community started having bear problems. And so okay. my book is about how those those two things are connected. Yeah, it's kind of a crazy idea, but it's also a very good read and. So I guess for me, first of all, you bring in a lot of elements, but tell me about the cat-bear situation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, coincidentally, or maybe not coincidentally, this was what first grabbed my attention in Grafton. Okay. Um, uh, where, where I was uh, there uh, working for a, uh, a regional daily newspaper called the Valley News, and I was uh, doing a story about veteran benefits, and the veteran in town that I was speaking to told me that she no longer allowed her cats outside uh, because of the bears. Okay. And yeah, that, that kind of piqued my interest, right, as, as uh, it would for, for most folks, I think. Sure. Um, and uh, she told me that when she was out in her backyard one evening, uh, a bear kind of burst out from the undergrowth and snatched two kittens from her, her backyard and okay. carried them off a short distance, and then, in her view, uh, ate them. And, uh, in her view. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like, uh, and it's it's crazy that this could happen, um, but apparently it did because not only did she lose her kittens, but um, other cats in the neighborhood started to go missing. And the bears started uh, kind of becoming uh, very aggressive. And so, you know, I'd never heard of a cat-eating bear. Um, Right. uh, They probably uh, taste like chicken is my thought. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Weirdly, for a totally different project, I had once asked somebody what cat tasted like. uh, Because Uh he had, um, uh, this was in uh, Sierra Leone, and he had accidentally caught a leopard in his antelope trap, and you okay. know, not wanting it to go to waste, he ate it. And I, I said, "What does it eat? What, what did it taste like?" And he said, uh, "What well, tasted like house cat?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so not necessarily a helpful answer for me, but, right. I, was, but I, I was I was surprised uh, and, and tickled by by his, uh, his response. <laughs> So yeah, yeah. Uh, so so the bears started uh, eating the cats, among other kind of unusually bold and aggressive uh, behaviors in town. And right. I track the reason for this uh, back to the fact that the libertarians and other kind of uh, freedom-minded individuals within the town are not following kind of like government 
recommendations for a community-minded approach to bear management, right? Like, like ideally, uh, if you're looking at it from the government's perspective, you want everyone to manage their garbage and their bird feeders uh, in ways right. that deter bear interest, right? And, and uh, just kind of uh, uh, take all the incentive away for the bear to come poking around a house. Right. Uh, but if you're a libertarian, uh, you want uh, to manage your garbage and your bird feeder and, and uh, everything else on your property as you see fit. Right. And uh, so uh, you had some people who had, you know, kind of very non-traditional living situations that didn't uh-huh. come with, um, you know, very good trash management uh, <laughs> <laughs> culture, and other people who were deliberately feeding the bears just kind of for the joy of of seeing them eat, which is certainly understandable, but uh, right. ultimately is is uh, harmful for both people and bears because it, it teaches bears to <laughs> probably more for people around. than bears. What was that? Is that more harmful for bears or people? Though? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, casually seem uh, possible on both sides, um, uh, but I would uh, I would say more dangerous for the bear. Uh, well, that's that's a good answer. And so, what what is the next project you're to work on? Because this is such a really interesting and unique book. Well, thank you uh, for for asking. I do have another book under contract, but I can't talk about the topic of it just yet. Uh, yeah, I, I can kind of tease that it will um, also kind of dwell on the absurd. I do have uh, kind of a steady stream of uh, uh, long-form magazine uh, articles coming out, and there's one right. that, that's uh, going to be published soon on the website of the Weather Channel of all, uh, all things. Really? Yeah, yeah they, they're not known for it, but they actually have uh, a, a section of their website that's dedicated to good journalism that's kind of related to, to climate change related issues. Okay. And uh, so I've got a, uh, an article coming out about how uh, board games can impact our perception of natural disasters, including the pandemic. Um, oh. Yeah, yeah. So that uh, it's a, a fun and interesting read, I hope. Wow. And so um, talk about how this book is available to people. Oh, yeah, th- thanks for asking. Um, so let's see. Uh, it's a very unusual title, as you've pointed out. A libertarian walks into air. Right. So if you Google it, uh, yeah, all sorts of things will pop up. Uh, you, you can buy it on any online retailer, including Amazon. Um, you can also find it uh, at your local independent bookstore. Uh, and if you if they don't have it literally on the shelves, they'd be delighted to uh, order it for you. Um, yeah. And you can also just kind of uh, keep up with me and my writings at uh, I, I'm pretty active on Twitter at hh underscore okay. matt, um, and I also have a website at matthungletetling.com. Well, that's fantastic. You know, I've got to tell you one thing that I got I got kind of tickled about was. When I got the book, it came in a package. It's a beautiful trade paperback. Loved it. But the deal was it was a, in some kind of trade copy. It's, the only thing it didn't have was the numbering on the pages. And I thought, Oh, right. I, well, I thought, 
that's kind of really doesn't hurt anything that you'd want to read. But I just thought, what a strange, you know, tidbit to try to <laughs> leave out the page numbers. Like that's going to stop me. For, you know, I, I just thought that was a strange detail. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, the world is so nuts. Maybe that'll be worth money someday. Dude. <laughs> don't don't well, throw that. So, don't throw that oddball so. coffee out. It's a good book, and I like it a lot, and I sure loved having you on the podcast and sure love everything that you're doing. It's so cool. Thank you uh, so much. Uh, yeah, no, you, you've, you've got a, a great and easy uh, manner with people, and uh, you're, you're a joy to talk to, uh, <laughs> and, and I hope lots of folks tune in and learn uh, about the great podcast you got going on. Well, you know, today is my one-year anniversary of having strokes, and so this is my stroke anniversary. and so I'm very happy to have you on the podcast. <laughs> well, what a momentous uh, occasion. Definitely. I'm happy, maybe the happiest guy in the world, so I'm so happy to have you on the podcast and happy to have you on the stroke anniversary. so thank you very much for coming on. Thanks, Dale. Uh, it's been great. All right. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye now. com. Do you love music? Do you know about the musical map of Missouri? Dallas Wayne, Chuck Berry, Dave Alvin, Robbie Folks, The Skeletons, The Ozarks, Mountain Daredevils, Uncle Tupelo, Wayne Carson, Nellie, Lou Whitney, Symptoms Morales, City, Jeff City, St. Louis, St. Joe, Columbia, Buckle of the Bible Belt, the Studio on South Avenue in Springfield, 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 Missouri. Add the Missouri Music Podcast to your list of favorites. Lawyer, author, and Slewfoot Records label owner Dale Wiley takes you on a musical trip around Missouri while raising funds for Musical Map of Missouri, a nonprofit organization which will help ensure Missouri musicians affected by COVID-19. Visit MissouriMusicPodcast.com for more information. Tune in to the Missouri Music Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.